Welcome to another ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier and I'm joined here in Paris by former WTA player Jill Krabus. Jill, how are you? I'm great. I'm doing fantastic. We have lots to get through as we look back on events in Basel and Vienna and ahead to the final ATP Masters 1000 of the year here in Paris and even further ahead to the season-ending finales in Milan and Turin. Jill, we're in the player lounge here. It's quite a snug player lounge. One of the smaller on tour, I'd say. It is. It is. It's nice and cozy. I have to say they've designed it extremely well, but it is smaller than normal, but it seems to be um, very comfortable for the players. So it's a nice, nice environment. And we just picked a nice sofa to do this podcast from walking past Juan Carlos Ferrero. So Carlos Alcaraz, I'm guessing, is here. I did see him. I saw him earlier. Yep. He's always very nice. They were. He was actually outside the player lounge with Juan Carlos Ferrero and they were both talking to just a group of four or five little kids that were sitting on a bench. It was really it was really sweet to see. Yeah. That's one of the things that Carlos does a lot of. I've seen it a lot around the world and it, he'll probably never stop doing that, yeah, which I know. is great. <laughs> Um, Jill, you've been to Paris many times, but it's your first time here at the tournament, which That's surprised true. me. What are, what are your first impressions? Um, I, well, when I first drove up, I thought the arena looked very cool. It's um, a big arena and there's grass that surrounds the entire upper level of the arena. So that was very, very cool. And also it's nice. We're staying at the hotel right next to the arena, which is always very convenient. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a great facility. It's amazing because from the outside... It doesn't look massive, but when you come inside, they have three courts inside and, you know, it's a little bit of a maze. So it's a little bit getting used to knowing where you're going, but I feel like they've set it up pretty well. And you are here for our podcast listeners, aren't you? What, what can you promise them? Oh, I'm, I'm hoping to talk to quite a few players. I've been here. It's just, it's just been a day and a half so far. So I've gotten a couple coaches. I did talk to Yoshihida Nishioka today, who's really fun to talk to. He's got a great sense of humor, and he obviously just won his second title in Seoul a couple weeks ago, so he was very excited, playing with a lot of confidence, so definitely um, looking to go strong here in Paris, um, and hoping to talk to quite a, quite a few players, um, Draper and Rune, and uh, you know, a lot of, maybe some of the next-gen Lehechka that have just made the, the next-gen finals. But um, pretty much trying to grab anybody. <laughs> we'll see. And I'm talking to um, most of the top seeds for, yes. for television. Uh, we've just finished speaking with with Novak, so people will be able to listen to that, I'm sure, um, before long. And Casper Rude. Everyone's in good spirits, so that is good. And you know what this tournament's famous for? Indoors. The Light Show. Yes. Have you seen this? I have not seen it, but I've heard about it. And I've heard many, many good things about it that it is just electric for for the players and the and all I keep hearing is the atmosphere is just fantastic once you get out there. Jill, we'll talk in a bit about who is here and who's on fire. But first, a major announcement this week and another new team event, the United Cup for both men and women kicking off incredibly in less than 2 months time on the 29th of December in Brisbane, Perth and Sydney and basically this replaces the ATP Cup. Let's keep this high level so we don't confuse ourselves, but mixed teams, 18 countries, ATP and WTA ranking points up for grabs. The first 12 countries, and I'm reading out from the ATP website here, will qualify via the six highest ranked number one players that enter on both the ATP Tour and the Hologic WTA Tour. The remaining six countries will qualify according to the best combined ranking of their respective number one men's and women's players. Just the principle, Jill, of 
men and women playing a team event together it's great isn't it it is great i mean i think we get a t- taste of it in the states with team tennis um that where the men and women come together and play the are short sets um but it's a fun atmosphere i think the players love it we obviously we have the combined events but we're going to bring them together um again which i think is absolutely awesome we had the atp cup but now being able to incorporate the women i think it's going to be really fun That is Jill Krabus. More to come from Jill shortly. But now to events in Austria, where it was back to full steam ahead for Daniel Medvedev, winning his 15th career title and 14th on a hard court by beating Denis Shapovalov in Vienna and along the way confirming his place for a fourth consecutive year at the NITO ATP Finals. Daniel, Vienna champion. How does that sound? And your first title as a new father? Yeah, I'm really happy. I mean, everything was working this week. And this match was uh, the best of the week because uh, Dennis was playing unreal uh, till probably like uh, 4-3 in the, in the second set. He dropped his level maybe just by 2% and I managed to use it and that's, uh, you know, that's the best victories. When you know that your opponent was, was on top of you but you, you tried to stay there, you tried to do what you can. And yeah, amazing and really happy. A great time to build some momentum to uh, congratulations, by the way, for qualifying for Turin yesterday. You're heading now into Paris uh, and the year-end championships. Yeah, great. Uh, I, I like to play indoor hardcore at the end of the season. I feel like we do a great job uh, with my team to, to not uh, arrive there uh, burned out. Uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the last two tournaments of the year, which are really important, where I usually play good. But they are going to be very tough opponents, so I want to play my best tennis. Lee Goodall there with Daniel Medvedev. Meanwhile, in Basel, it was a battle between two of the informed players out there on tour. Both Felix Auger-Aliassime and Holger Rune were playing their third final in as many weeks. And when it was all said and done, it was the Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime with a 13th straight win and a fourth title of the year, putting himself right on the cusp of qualifying for the NITO ATP Finals. Just really happy with, uh, with where I am with my level, to still be able to play you know, that good at the end of the year, uh, feeling good physically. Yeah, it shows uh, that I've done some good work and you know, that my team and I, we've, uh, we've put some good work in, in, in place um, throughout the year. So if you had to pick one weapon that's just working particularly well ex- outside of the serve. Yeah, uh, well, that would have been my first one. I yeah. know, but you can't pick the serve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what would you say, you know, you're doing particularly well at the moment? Yeah, well, uh, I'm doing many things well. <laughs> many things are working well. Of course, my forehand as well. It's a big weapon of mine. But uh, but everything, you know, the backhand as well, the variety uh, in my game, the consistency. And, and I would say that what's been really, you know, at least a big advantage is just uh, how physically I've been feeling good and moving well in the court. Like, I've just been able to be... Every match really uh, explosive and, and moving well and defending well when I needed to. So I think that's been a big key as well. And I think it's about feeling well as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, that well, confidence. F- yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you build your confidence. You know, confidence doesn't just, just come. You have to sometimes, you know, um, takes a few weeks and then you kind of build your confidence uh, um, as you train and as you prepare for tournaments. And sometimes as you have conversations with your coaches or people around you. So, um, and then after, once you're on a roll and win after win, yeah, it just kind of flows and, and you're feeling well and you don't have to kind of uh, overthink too much. And um, I think that's what's been also good is that uh, I just, to just show up and, and, and try to play my best tennis without uh, overthinking. 
Yeah, and you, I mean, you're saying overthinking, and I can, only, I can only imagine how hard it must be for you to just focus on the here and now and not think about the A to B finals. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a challenge every year. I mean, it's the same thing. I'm, last year was a bit the same. Uh, of course, this year I'm in an even better position. But uh, I think throughout the years, throughout my young career, I've been able to, in moments where it would be easy to project yourself because, because of you know, a certain situation like, like this one, to be able to center myself in the moment and to be able to focus on what really is important, which is uh, playing good tennis. And then from that, can, wins can come, but I need to really focus on, on my game and, and staying fit and, and really give my best effort. But uh, I've been dealing with it well, but of course, at the corner of my eye, I'm keeping an eye on, uh, on the race. And, and of course, this is also a big motivation to try to, to push uh, and give the effort until the end. So you do think about it every day? Well, a little bit every day. You, <laughs> the thoughts come into you, but, but at the end, you know, once I'm on the court, I don't really think about anything else than the match happening. And uh, I think that's what's been helping me too. Or not, not just now, just my whole career, whenever I feel like uh, I'm in the moment and I'm, I'm playing good tennis, it's because uh, time stops and kind of the outside world stops once I step foot on the court. And all that matters is uh, the opponent in front of me. Ursin Kaderis there with the questions. It's been a strange end to a good year for Taylor Fritz. A second round exit in Vienna put a dent in the Americans' chances of qualifying for the finals in Turin. That was after contracting COVID, being confined to a room for seven days in Korea, and then heading to Tokyo and winning the title. Not your average two weeks. It, it was honestly strange. I felt like I felt really good in Tokyo. Obviously, the 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 court was fast, uh, a lot of free points and, you know, some long points, but not, not all the time. So I didn't feel like the conditioning really played a huge part and then went back home and trained and I felt, honestly felt really good. And then I actually felt like I kind of got sick again. <laughs> um, I said, have you had time for that to settle in, that achievement that you, that you were able to enjoy in Tokyo? It was a crazy few days. Yeah, it was, uh, we I definitely got back home and still like, wow, like I, can't can't believe I actually actually won the tournament. It's, uh, you know, I I said to a lot of people, no matter what I do in in my career, I still I think I'll always look back at that week as being one of the biggest accomplishments, just because of uh, just the situation. You know, being in a room for a week and then flying to the tournament the day of of my first round. I think that's, you know, that's that's something that I'll always look back and be like, wow, like that's one of my biggest achievements. It must give you a lot of confidence, doesn't it, as well? You know, it, it's one thing winning a 500 tournament when you've been practicing and you're fully fit, but having been locked up for seven days and still being able to achieve that level of tennis must be a, a huge boost. Yeah, for sure. But everyone, a lot of people know this. And I always say, that, like, I, I love that stuff. Like, it's, it's, it's fun because, like, it's easy to play when you don't have any pressure. Like, who, who expects me to win even my first round match when I come out of come out of doing nothing for seven days, being sick, and then I fly the day of it. No one, no one's going to even expect me to win my first round match. So um, I, I love that kind of stuff. Just show up and play and see what happens. And yeah, it's like I said, it's, it's easy to play when there's absolutely no expectations on you. So, And presumably the focus now is on the, the Pepperstone ATP live race to Turin. Is it full steam ahead in terms of the, the short term goals? Yeah, of course. That's, that's, you know, my goal from now to the end of the year, I think. You know, one of my goals for the year was top 10. I'd say that's 
I'm pretty sure that's that's pretty locked up for the year. I th I think I don't want to jinx it, but yeah, the main focus is definitely uh, uh, the race. What would it mean to make your debut in Turin? It, it'd be incredible to make it uh, make it to Turin. I think that's I mean that's a huge goal and that's a huge honor to to be a part of that. So you know that's it's I'm just gonna have to have to bring it. Is it a difficult balance to get? I mean, obviously it's something that you know you're firmly focused on, but you I guess you don't want to put too much pressure on yourself or, or are you one of those guys who's happy to look at the numbers and see what your rivals are doing are you, are you fully immersed in it yeah i think it's pretty tough not to i think it's pretty tough not to be like that to be like paying attention to the points and paying attention to the you know what i need to do and, and to be honest it's, it's motivating it, it has pressure but normally i i feel like that uh, the pressure it motivates me and i feel like i i play well um, under those those circumstances like a lot in, in Tokyo I knew the whole week that I had to be um, finals to, to make top 10 and I feel like I, I played well and handled that well and you know maybe that you would think that adds a lot more pressure but I, I don't know I think it helped me. Jill incredible turnaround two weeks for Taylor I mean upside down all over the shop. It was actually amazing and he, he spoke quite a bit about it about how he had to quarantine and then be able to come away with the title is just amazing but he said in particular he almost feels like the fact that he was felt underprepared almost took some of that pressure off and maybe uh, released him a little bit got a little bit more relaxed out there because his expectations weren't quite so high after being able to not prepare cor correctly but obviously it worked for him he's he's been just having such an amazing year and for and also not only winning the title but first ever getting into the top 10 which was a huge goal for him so that's a definite confidence boost and as things stand in terms of qualifying for the Nito ATP finals in Turin the six players definitely there are Carlos Alcaraz, Rafa Nadal, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Kasper Ruud, Daniel Medvedev and Novak Djokovic. He qualifies through being a Grand Slam champion this year. Um, then below the cut still, just on the cusp, we have Felix Auger-Aliassime, who's overtaken Andrei Rublev in winning this week. And then you've got Taylor Fritz and Hubi Hercatch. Have they got too much to do now to catch up these two guys, or can you can you see excitement building over the next week? Well, it was interesting because I was just speaking to um, Taylor Fritz's coach, Michael Russell, uh, earlier earlier this afternoon, and we were talking about that exact thing. And I mean, they're be, they're pretty relaxed about it. They're not trying to put too much pressure on. Obviously, it's always going to be in the back of your mind. You can't not think about it, really. Um, but Mike Michael was just telling me that he thinks that both Fritz and Hubie have to pretty much win the title to be able to make that last spot and so they're they were they were joking Mike Russell and Craig Boynton were joking with each other about like <laughs> the battle between the two going on right now so I think I think for either one of them to make it they pretty much have to win here and Hubie seemed pretty confident in his in his interview yeah. when I spoke with him earlier he said look you know well, he, he made the semis last year yep and he was you know he said well I've got to win it so anything else it probably isn't good enough and when you consider that Andre Rublev has a horrible record here he's only ever won one match right it actually could get quite tight it could get interesting yeah and I you know everyone's thinking about it and I, I like that response from Hubie just, I mean it's reality right you can't escape reality that that's what you have to do you have to win the tournament so I think once you get to the point where you accept that sometimes that can that can help you play better while the race to Turin dominated much of the talk in Basel 
this past week. Inevitably, plenty also focused on the absence of Roger Federer, the first event in his hometown since his retirement. When Andy Murray sat down with Ursin Caderas, he couldn't help but focus on the Swiss maestro's legacy at his home ATP 500. Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it's incredible to win one event 10 times. I mean, there's very few players that are able to win 10 titles in their entire career. There's not lots of players that are able to do that. So to win 10 in one place, especially when it's like your hometown tournament and there's a lot of distractions um, and lots of, uh, I guess, other things going on away from the court that might take your energy away from the the tennis. and yeah, there's also a bit of added pressure, I guess, playing at home, even though I see like once you get on the court and you have the crowd behind you and stuff, it, it does help. But um, yeah, winning, winning 10 times in one place is, is an incredible um, achievement and it just shows his longevity um, as well as, as his great tennis ability. Um, yeah, and I think he also lost in the final a couple of times as well. Um, so yeah, he had, had great results here. And it also wasn't just about the results. We didn't spend loads of time with each other away from the, the court, um, to, to be honest, during our, our careers. But obviously I was around the locker room with him a lot and I'd always chat to him and stuff when, when I saw him. And yeah, he was, he was very loud um, in the locker room, which I, I don't know if... People would expect that, but you know he was always making a lot of noise and watching matches and you know reacting to big points in matches that he was watching on the TV like so loud um, in the locker room. Um, but yeah, it was always always very friendly and obviously I got to spend more time with him away from the court during the the Lever Cup recently and yeah we went out for dinner together and. Yeah, had had a great time with him. He was really fun to, to hang out with. And yeah, I think, look, ten, tennis will miss him, clearly. You know, he's one of the greatest players to have ever played the game. And he was, you know, huge across all sports as well, um, not not just tennis. So, yeah, definitely be, be well missed for, for a long time. More to come from Andy Murray when he remembers winning the Nito ATP finals a few years ago. But Jill Krabus... As a former player, I want to give you the opportunity to say what you think of Roger and, and the, I guess the, the gap he leaves in the game, what he's meant to the game, how he's changed the game. Favourite memory of Roger? Uh, fa- oh, my God, there's so many. Um, yeah, well, first of all, I, I mean, everyone has said it, but what he's done for the sport is just insane. And I think, I mean, I was crying when he ret- <laughs> retired, but I started crying when Nadal started crying. <laughs> That's when my moment came. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is sad. But my fa- my personal favorite memories, other than watching him play and just watching how fluid he was, was I had two two moments. I, I did a one training session in Dubai one year, one off-season training session. Do you remember Julia Gerges from – She's a she played for a long time, just recently retired, actually. Um, anyway, we did a training session in Dubai, which is where Federer – practices um in the off season he was training that week with Barankis and Julie and I of course were trying to train but we couldn't help but look keep looking over at Federer's practice sessions just trying to learn from the master and we were playing a practice set and Julia I was at the pretty much the back of the fence and Julia of course went for a drop shot so I like hauled my butt up to get the drop shot as fast as I could because 
Because at that point, I was well aware that Federer was having a water break, just getting some water. So I know, well aware that he was watching. <laughs> so I was like, I have to get to this drop shot. I get to the drop shot, end up hitting a winner. And then I just hear from the court beside us. And he just screams, that's the one. And I almost... I was like, oh my God, he actually saw the point. I actually had a winner. Oh my God, it's amazing. Anyway, so that was my one moment. I held myself together. The other was um, I played in the 2008 Olympic Games. And I played Patty Schneider, who's Swiss, of course. And Venus Williams was on the team, on the U.S. team, and she was playing Bazinski, who's Swiss. So we were both playing Swiss. And I was following Venus. So I was sitting in the lounge watching Venus play on TV and Patty was sitting in front of me and then Roger comes and sits next to Patty and first I don't know why they were speaking English but they did and Federer said well who do you play and and Patty goes Kravis and he goes oh chill and I was like oh, I didn't know we were on a first name basis <laughs> I sound nervous as I'm saying it right now don't I oh my god it's ridiculous but anyway those are my two favorite personal moments but do you know what <laughs> It tallies this with is what, how we all react. Yeah, no, it's amazing. But it tallies with what everyone says about him, which is how down to earth he, he is. Very he down always earth. stayed, which is such a. I mean, it's I just the most remarkable thing about it him. It is remarkable. Really. Yeah, and I have to say, no matter what event you were at, when he played on a center court in any slam or any tournament, because the players, I mean, as players, you get special seats where you can go sit and watch, and it's packed. Every it was packed every time because all the players wanted to watch him play. It's crazy. Yeah, and I remember doing Halle for the first time, and the the craziness around him there was in, incredible. Yeah. And and it was his tenth title, and he was just so he's incredible. And the yeah. way he dealt with everything throughout the it's week, I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, well, Roger Federer was very much in mind when Chris Bowers met with upcoming Swiss star Dominic Stricker, who was this week confirmed as the eighth and final qualifier for the Intesa San Paolo next gen ATP finals in Milan from the 8th to the 12th of November. Stricker ended 2020 as one of the top juniors in the world and he's wasted no time at all in qualifying for the under-21 event. It all went very, very quick after uh, after French Open. Uh, yeah, I had a good year in 2020 with that uh, win in Paris, but then, uh, yeah, it all went so fast and now this year that I really played good and also now let's see what's going on in this week. Does it go so quickly that maybe there are things you will have to learn later because at the moment you're playing with such tremendous belief and momentum yeah of course i have to uh, i think i learned a lot uh, when i came from the juniors to the pro tour so uh, there were a lot of things that i have to learn to 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 keep working hard every single day and also to to be ready mentally for every single match but now uh, yeah it's getting better and uh, also my level is getting higher I noticed you put on a website that you're on your way to the top. So that that's quite a bold thing to say. It is, it is. No, but I'm uh, yeah, I'm super happy how I'm playing at the moment. I really had a good week uh, last week in Antwerpen and now also uh, very happy to be here at home. Uh, it's always something special. But uh, yeah, I would say I'm on a good way. You won the boys' singles at Roland Garros. So as a Grand Slam singles champion, does that create pressure or is that a signal to others? Or how do you see it? 
it's yeah, it's tough to say, but I think it's a, of course it's a signal for the for the other players to see that you were or you are a good junior. So uh, and also for the for the opponents you have, they know that you you maybe uh, yeah want to want to slam at the juniors. And also for me, it was a big big confident boost because uh, yeah, it was a it was a tough year with all the all the COVID situation, and then winning my last slam was something that really helped me also to, for the for the pro tour. Any young Swiss is obviously going to be seen in the context of Roger Federer and to a certain extent Stan Wawrinka as well. Is that a good thing or a, is it something that actually can be a little bit round your neck because you are Dominic Stricker, you're not a new anybody else? No, I actually think it's a it's a good thing to be compared with these two because then uh, yeah then then you know that you're doing something right. Uh, that was pretty cool to see that the people. Uh, yeah, compare myself with uh, with Roger or Stan, so it's good. But uh, what these two two guys did for the for the sport in Switzerland is just crazy. So uh, yeah, I just hope that I can I can do something similar, but maybe not as as good as they did. You had a session practicing with Roger in Dubai. Tell me what you got from that. A lot. No, I know. I think Roger is a is a very nice guy. Uh, he, he he was talking to me every day. He gave me some some advice. So. Uh, was a really good, really good trip for me. I really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I'm super happy that he invited me a few times. So you go out onto the court with him in the morning, and what does he do differently than you would do in an ordinary practice session? I don't think it's a it's a lot, but uh, he's just focused on on every single ball you hit. I think his uh, on and off game is uh, is very strong. He's doing some chokes in the breaks, but in the break, but then. Uh, yeah, when when the ball is in the game, he's just here and he's not missing. Uh, so I think that's that's one point that really helped me as well. So have you done anything different since those days you spent with him in Dubai? Mm, not a lot, but uh, I really worked also on on that to be on and off a bit uh, a bit better, even in the gym as well. If you're if there are many people's in the gym, it's always harder. But uh, yeah, on the court it's as well. Um, I'm a guy that also likes to do some chokes with my coach, maybe. But then. Uh, yeah. Also, when the when the ball is in play, I just try to be more focused. Or uh, yeah, but no, I think it's it's better than it was before. How did you manage your education as a promising tennis player? I noticed actually on your website you credit Anna Marie Rug, who's the head of tennis education at Swiss Tennis, when Roger was growing up. Yeah, she helped me a lot as well. Uh, I did some. I finished my school, my nine years, and then I did uh, another education. But I stopped after three years because it was just, just too much for me uh, with all what I saw coming in the in the next year. But then uh, now I'm super happy that I that I did these three years because it really also helped me to get some some daily routines in. Uh, but now I'm I'm happy just to be to be a pro and don't have to study anymore. What did you do in the three years? What specific subjects? I did. I did a bit of everything: of math, of um, yeah, German as well, English, like all the language, and just uh, yeah, it was a quite, quite good a school uh, for me to learn a bit of everything. When you got onto the challenger circuit after juniors, you won your first challenger tournament in Lugano. I mean, everyone says it's such a big jump from juniors to the challenger circuit. You made it look easy. I'm sure it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a yeah. For me, it was maybe not a, a hard way uh, as all the the other people's had with all these futures because I I really used my wild card in in Lugano pretty good. But um, no, I think it's not a not an easy jump. Uh, the level is so much higher. Uh, 
at the challenger level than uh, than for the juniors and also mentally I think it's a it's a big step up but um no I, I was maybe a bit lucky to win to win my tournament there in Lugano but now I'm I'm sure that I belong to this level and I'm super happy maybe lucky in the first one but you've won other challenges since you've been in the top 125 I mean that's not luck no now it's not luck anymore I think now I really got the level but maybe the first tournament was a yeah, it was a good run, but um, no, I think I really belong here. I've won now three challenges, which uh, really helped me to, to get up the level. And I also see that I can beat some good players. That's really, really good to see. There's a crop of left-handers, quite a lot of left-handers coming up at the moment. Um, so what have you got to do to get better, not just against everybody, but against left-handers? Because left-handers don't generally like playing against left-handers. Yeah, that's true. I don't like it either, but uh, I think it's not uh, not easy to play a left-hander if you're a left-hander as well, because you know your weapons that you have, but uh, then you know the other guy is gonna gonna make the same to you. But um, no, it's not easy. But I think uh, yeah, you know the game a bit better if you're a left-hander as well. Tell us a bit about you. What should we know about you outside tennis? What's your passion outside tennis? Um, my passion outside tennis is actually golf. I like to play golf a lot in my in my free time with my with my friends. But it's uh, just playing it to to get some time off court to talk to my friends when I'm home. You're living the dream at the moment. I mean, a lot of kids dream of playing on the tennis circuit. They have that fun playing tennis. But you're having to work very hard as well. How do you keep the sense of fun? It's a good question, but um, no, I think just every day to step out there to try try some new things. You never know what's coming in tennis, but um, no, I think also to to keep working hard for for the moments of success that really that really give you another confident boost. Maybe uh, as I had last week in Antwerp and winning against uh, Van der Sandschloop, that really gave me again a yeah a positive a positive week. And now here also to to play here in front of all the all the Swiss fans, I'm I'm super happy. What we don't see on radio is that you're smiling all the way through this. Are you generally a happy person? I am. Yes, I am. I'm really am uh, also now when I'm here at home, uh, just enjoying time with my family and with my friends all because I'm really traveling a lot. So you're also or I'm super happy to be home and just enjoy the time. Swiss tennis is doing well at the moment. We obviously have said goodbye to Roger. Stan probably hasn't got that much longer. And yet... Um, is well established in the top 100 you won an all Swiss final at Roland Garros Leandro Ridi um, Laxenden's doing well Richard's doing well does that make a difference do you all help each other on yeah we do I think uh, it really helps me as well to see like we're now four or five really really good players so you see Alex just won a won a challenger now against Henry in the final so uh yeah there are many guys coming up again Henry was was long top 100 and now he's falling back a bit but I think he will come back again and uh, yeah Alex is, is on his career high Mac is doing an amazing job at the moment also uh, Leandro and Jerome two young guys coming up as well so yeah it's great to see you always know that uh, these Swiss guys uh, are coming up and it's also good for for Davis Cup and this time next year how much better a player will, or how will you be a better player I think I can still improve on uh, on many points. Uh, there are a lot of things to do. Maybe uh, also in the off season to get a bit more uh, more fitter. But um, no, I think I can still still get some some better shots or be more solid or whatever. But I think uh, there are still a few points to get better. Chris Bowers there talking with Dominic Stricker. Jill, you're going to be in Milan. Yes. How much are you looking forward to that? I'm really looking forward to it. It's my first time going, and so I just I just think it's such a 
really good event to have to be able to promote these youngsters coming up so I'm really excited and you can see the excitement in the players when they see that they've qualified and they're considered you know this next generation that's coming up so you can see the all the excitement surrounding them and around them so I think it's such a good event to have. Lorenzo Musetti, Holger Runa, Jack Draper, first Brit to qualify for the event incidentally, Brandon Nakashima, Yuri Leheka, Chun Xing Cheng, Francesco Passaro and Dominic Stricker the incredible thing is, I mean, these are all good players. Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner could still have been playing this year. I mean, the future looks bright, right? Yeah, no, it's absolutely great. And I think these players, seeing someone like Alcaraz, who's similar age, being able to succeed the way he's he has, as only motivates them to feel like that they can make that extra push into the into the top. Who's your favorite? I mean, the way who's my favorite the way to Runa's win? The way the, the Runa, I know. The season, but. Right Mazzetti now, is so good too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to not have Runa's name stick out with the way he's been performing the last couple of weeks. I mean, Jack Draper has also been playing really, really well. He's playing a lot of kind of, Brandon Nakashima. So he played it last year as well. So it's his second time going to the next gen. And I mean, all of them. I mean, that's why they're in this position. That's why they've qualified. They've all had consistent results. Well, as we count down to the season-ending finals, both the Next Gen and the NITO ATP finals over the next two weeks, we're going to relive some of the tournament's defining moments. This week, we travel back to 2016, as promised earlier, and here's Andy Murray. In 2016, you know, I was I was coming into the to the year hoping to to push up the rankings. I wanted to try and win um, a Grand Slam again. I started off the year pretty well. Lost in the final at the Australian Open wasn't quite what I was after. Same thing again at the French Open, and that was when uh, brought Ivan Lendl back into my team, and things uh, things changed a bit after that. We actually started the conversations of trying to get to number one actually around Cincinnati time. It was off the back of the Olympics. Each day I was here, we were debating with my team whether I should play because physically I, I was really tired, and you know we were talking about you know, the potential number one ranking, but I was still a really long way from, from Novak um, at that stage. And I don't know if doing well in Cincinnati potentially cost me doing a little bit better at the US Open, but yeah, it all, all worked out in the end. It's a very nice finish for Andy Murray, who continues to close the gap on Novak Djokovic at the top of the world rankings. Murray looked fatigued earlier in the week, but he's still going strong. So after yeah, US Open had a very clear goal with my team was to try and you know give myself an opportunity to get to number one in the world actually for the beginning of 2017. We weren't thinking about it like end of 2016 because again I was I was still pretty far from Novak and you know I was gonna have to literally <laughs> have to have to win every single match between uh, then and the 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 end of the year. He's long. Dimitrov goes long and Andy Murray is champion in Beijing for the first time. I've always loved the conditions over in Asia. I ended up playing really well and winning both of the events over there and yeah, then then the sort of the, the chase to get to number one was on after that. I was warming up for my match in Shanghai. This is in the semi-finals and Novak was playing Bautista at the time. And I think it was around then when me and my team were like, this is your chance, you know, to, to try to do it. I thought it was, it was going to be on after that. I remember, like, 
was like trying to listen to the noises that the crowd were making during the semi-final match um, with Novak and Bautista when I was practicing. It's never great when you're focusing on other people's results. Um, but yeah, that, that was when, when I thought there was a chance. That'll do it. Outstanding stuff from Murray, edging ever closer to the world number one ranking. The situation was kind of going into the, the last few matches that, that I played in Paris there and then I didn't know if I was ever going to get another chance to get to number one. So that was really my opportunity and then Milos came and sort of tapped me on the shoulder and was like... I have a, a tear, grade one tear in the right quad, so unfortunately I'm not able to compete against Andy today in the second semi-final. And that was it. So then I, that, was, that was how I got to number one. I found out in the locker room, which you know, it was obviously a shame. It wouldn't be nicer if it happened um, on the court. Andy Murray is the champion here in Paris for the very first time. He will become the new world number one. He is king of the world right now. I got the, the opportunity, you know, a couple of weeks later in the Tour Finals to kind of solidify my spot as, you know, being number one for that year when I played Novak in the final at the at the L2. Oh, what a backhand! I was really tired by that stage. I played so many weeks and sort of tournaments in a row. I was on a big win streak and then I had a brutal match with Ryanich in the, in the semi-finals. Um, it was a long one. I think I saved match points and stuff. What a point. So cool and calm under pressure there. I wasn't feeling that confident going into the final because Novak, I think he won his matches pretty comfortably and was going into that match, you know, a bit fresher. And obviously he would have been motivated as well to, to finish number one, so I wasn't feeling that great about it. But yeah, it just, everything went, went well for me that day. I don't think Novak had his, had his best match. And um, yeah, it was an unbelievable way to finish that year and to do it like, you know, at home, like all of my friends and family were there. And, you know, that night I got to go home and sleep in my own bed and stuff and just, yeah, be, be with my wife and stuff. It was, it was great. And he's created history by becoming only the 17th player in the history of the game to be crowned year-end world number one. For so many years of sort of hard work and, you know, being behind, you know, Novak and Rafa and Roger, you know, they're not easy guys to pass. Um, <laughs> I think it was, yeah, one of my best accomplishments. Winning one tournament or winning a Grand Slam is a really hard thing to do, but to finish the year and at number one, that's, you know, many, many weeks and, and tournaments and consistency to, to be able to do that. So, yeah, finishing number one is one of, one of my proudest moments. Andy Murray speaking with ATP Uncovered there, and he is guaranteed, Jill, at least a share of the limelight in Paris. Why? Because in the first round, he's playing Frenchman Gilles Simon in his last event ever before he bows out. It's, a, it's an emotional week for, for Gilles Simon. I spoke to him earlier today um, about how he's shaping up for this, uh, this grand finale for him. But it's a very difficult week, obviously, a uh, very special moment. Um, what is hard is, uh, in the end, not to know uh, what's going to happen. Uh, I have a lot of experience on tour, but I don't have any experience in retirement. You know, you just retire once in your, in your life. And it's a very special moment because you have so many uh, different feelings coming through. 
some part of me that are uh, impatient to stop because it was a very long journey and uh, and I took that decision and 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 I feel it was the right one but it's sad also because tennis is my life I was uh, I always wanted to be a tennis player I tried my best uh, as long as I could and I just feel it's it's too difficult now but it's always sad to when you have to admit it so yes it's a very yeah it's very difficult right now and uh, so I I decided I would just focus on what I know, how to prepare a match, and try to be as ready as possible for the first round. When did you know, in your heart of hearts, that it was the time to go, and, and when did you actually say it out loud for the first time? Well, this is something you feel, uh, you feel it coming because uh, it's not like you are 10 in the world and then suddenly you cannot win a match. It's, uh, it takes years. and. Uh, I felt it for the first time when I was 32 or 33 that it was. It started to be really difficult to be ready for every week. Uh, I still had a few good seasons when I was able to win some titles, but with more and more first-round losses, like in a row or some moments where, when I was out of shape for you know too long and fighting a lot to to be ready, uh, the ratio was not good. Starting to, <laughs> you know, with the feeling that you have to work for three weeks, four weeks to, to prepare your body and your game and everything to be ready for what, maybe one week or two weeks if you are lucky and then it's, it's difficult again. So you, you feel it coming and I think the moment uh, this year it's when I realized that I was not even able to play a full tournament. Now I was, uh, it was so many weeks that were complicated and w even when I had a good week, it was not a good week. It was one match, two match, maybe three, and that's it. And then one injury coming once or something not allowing me, you know, to to continue and to play full. So I just asked myself, in the end, why are you playing? Most of the time you are out of shape and you, you can't play uh, as you want to play. And even when you can do it, it's just to have one or two wins. You know, one or two match, and and that's it. You are not able to play five match in a row anymore, so you are not able to uh, maybe even win a tournament. So, yeah, this is when I decided. Okay, it starts to be too demanding. Um, it was in the beginning of the season, and I said, okay, maybe I can uh, continue for six more months. It was helping a lot mentally to have a limit, to put a limit in my head, knowing that I will do a, still a huge amount of effort to be ready for a few matches. <laughs> uh, but that's it. And uh, I think it was the right one. I was able to play, for example, a very good French Open. Again, one match, two match, so the one was the one too much. But at least it was a very, very good experience. So yeah, I think it was the right call. And then when the draw was made here, and you knew that you were going to play a special match, if we can call it special, against another guy out there who's kind of playing against Father Time, Andy Murray. Um, is that nice to finish against another guy from kind of of your generation? Another old guy? <laughs> he's not going to like it if I say that he's old. Um, well, it's, we played uh, too many times, uh, at least 16 too much. 16 times <laughs> he beat in me. Um, it's, 
you have to play someone. So I, I, this is a question I had also in French Open. You know, who do you want to play for your last French Open? But if it's a French player, it's not that funny. If it's uh, too hard or if you never know an Indian, you say, OK, you know what? Just send me someone and <laughs> I, will, I will just do my best to, to try to win. Uh, obviously, Andy is a very special player uh, with a crazy career. Uh, I think he's facing the same problems that, <laughs> that I was facing the last uh, season, but even if he's still able to compete on a much higher level. Uh, but again, I will just try my best to beat him, as I always did against him, even if I was uh, successful only twice. But maybe tomorrow it will be the third one. You mentioned you know, all of the, the, the titles, the successes. You've had 14 titles, two Masters finals, um, too many Grand Slams to remember. Favourite memory? If you can pick one, oh, it's too difficult. It was too long, too many memories. So, in the first tournament you win is obviously a crazy moment. The first tournament I won with when I had my son in Mess was a crazy moment. Also, the best performance was maybe when I beat Rafa in Madrid in 2008 or playing the Masters that year. So yeah, many different moments. And just turning the clock kind of forward, um, you mentioned that you're not 100% sure yet what you're going to do, retirement, you're doing it for the first time. Before we talk about that, just the, the next generation of players coming through in France, you know, France has, a, I think, 10 men's players inside the top 100, but none at the mm. moment inside the top 40. Mm. Is there a role, do you think, for, for you guys, you know, the likes of you, Jeremy Shardy, who's working with Hugo at the moment, do you want to get involved and, and help, or is it just going to take some time first? Uh, exactly what you said. <laughs> I need to take some time first, and then I will be happy to uh, to do it. Uh, am I the right person? Are we the right persons to do it? This we don't know. Uh, but we can try. I think it was uh, something missing in our generation. Most of the former players were not really involved uh, not in tennis, but in the players, you know, in the in the French players, and uh, I think if we can help, yeah, we should we should try to help. Uh, but it's a very different uh, job, you know, to do. It's not because you were uh, playing on a decent level that you will be for sure the the best coach ever. So uh, and it's a big responsibility because uh, until now we made a lot of choices for. Our career and uh, and it was our call and uh, uh, but in the end it was we had the result uh, that we deserved you know because it was uh, now when you try to help someone else you know it's not about you it's about your players uh, your player to to perform and to be as good as possible so uh, to put him on the right direction and this is something also you need to learn uh, so. That's why I, I really need to uh, take some time for myself already because this is what I need the most. Uh, spend some time with the family. I've been 20 years on tour and, and, I, and I just need to do it for at least one or, or, or two years. And then I, then I will figure out what I want to do, how I want to do it. Uh, but I, I really need some time to think about it and I don't want to rush anything. Jill, Simon Murray, sure to capture the imagination here in Paris. Oh my God, I'm getting emotional thinking about it actually. <laughs> because I know what it feels like to play your last tournament, obviously for Simone in this case. And it's not easy. It is such, a, it's such an emotional moment, especially here in his home country. I mean, it's, it's gonna be, there's gonna be some tears shed, I'm sorry. And I mean, and what an opportunity to be able to play 
a veteran like Andy Murray. Now, who knows who's, it might not be Simone's last match, who knows, I don't know, but to be able to have that experience already to be on the court um, with with Murray once again and, and have that, have that all those emotions, oh my gosh. And just looking ahead to Paris, I mean, sometimes in the in the not so distant past, Paris has had disappointment in its draw. It's absolutely stacked. Yeah, You've got Djokovic, Nadal, Medvedev, Alcaraz, Tsitsipas. They're all here. Djokovic and Nadal, same half of the draw. Indoor fireworks guaranteed. I mean, which of these first round matches most excite you? Um, well, I do. I did circle the Simone Murray match for for the reasons that we already mentioned. Um, I think Evans Nakashima is going to be interesting. Um, I also have Shapovalov Sarundalo. I think that's going to be interesting. Obviously, Shapo playing extremely well, and Rune and Runa Rowinka as well. That's that's a that's a really tough first round. I know Rowinka coming in with a protected ranking, so that's that's a tough matchup as well. And who's going to win the whole thing? Put you on the spot. Yes, you are putting me on the spot. That's a tough one. Um, because as you know, there's so many choices. <laughs> but I think in the end, I may go with um, Medvedev. Okay, on form. Yeah, Yeah, he is on form. Yeah, exactly. Last two finals. So yeah. it's logical. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for backing me. No, no, not at all. <laughs> and one final question for you. Yes. Which two players are going to book the last two spots for Turin? Okay, I think it's going to be... Rublev and Felix. To join Carlos Alcaraz, Rafael Nadal, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Kasper Ruud, Novak Djokovic and Daniel Medvedev. What an event that promises to be. It's going down to the wire. Be sure to keep up with the latest from the Rolex Paris Masters on ATPTour.com and on the ATP WTA Live app. Check out the podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and TuneIn during the week. For more exclusive interviews from our very own Jill Krabus. And I'll be back next Sunday to round up everything here and look ahead to both of the season-ending finales, Next Gen and the Nito ATP Finals. I'm Seb Lozier with Jill Krabus in Paris. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.